welcome to I'm Not a Peach Crayon. We're going to give it to you. This time we're talking about the book Parable of the Sower by author Octavia E. Butler. Hey everybody. When unintended environmental and economic crises lead to social chaos, not even gated communities are safe. In a night of fire and death, Lauren Olamina, a minister's young daughter, loses her family and home and ventures out into the unprotected American landscape. But what begins as a flight for survival soon leads to something much more, a startling vision of human destiny and the birth of a new faith. As you all might have known, this is, if or if you have heard already, this is Octavia E. Butler, which I can say now is one of my favorite authors, though I discovered her far too late for my liking. But, you know, at least I found her, I guess, now as opposed to never. She is quoted at or uh, tagged as the mother of sci-fi or Afrofuturism. But I think there's so much more to her. And I really wish I would have known. We've, we've talked about this a lot on the show about how we feel that growing up reading sci-fi and fantasy, having to find ourselves centered or find our story centered in those works was very difficult because a lot of the things we see or, or excuse me, what we read and even seeing now in TV and movies was written, directed or starring white people. Well, even when you say that, it just brings to mind the new series on HBO, and I'm not going to go too far Love. into it, about Lovecraft Country, which is based off of some of the works by H.P. Lovecraft, even though it's a book written by someone else. Mm. But even still, just that idea that H.P. Lovecraft was somebody that so many of the sci-fi authors that we read today, that's something that they were reading when they were younger. Yeah. Including, I believe, Octavia Butler. Butler. And what's funny is uh, she, I, I found an interview where they asked her where she or why she became a writer, what, what made her uh, begin as a writer. And she was saying that when she was younger, I think maybe around 10 or maybe even younger than that, she saw this movie called Devil Girl from Mars. And it's one of those campy, terrible sci-fi movies and those b movies yeah and not the b movies because sometimes we know there's some good b movies but not in that way and she was quoted as saying she sat there and she looked at it and thought i could write better than this and then she thought anyone could write better than this and she then her last thought she had and i think it was in an interview or a panel discussion that she was doing at ucla in 2002 she was like then i thought someone actually got paid to write this so I can write something far better. And she got into writing. I think they referenced one of her first book or things she ever wrote was about a girl because she would go with her mom to work. And her mom, I think, was a, worked in a house like a, as a, a servant or a maid. And so she had to go through the back entrance. And she dreamed about like going to space. So she created this story where Martians come from Mars, pick up this little girl and take her on a sightseeing tour through space and then return her. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Totally. I get that where you can see something beyond what is around you Mm -hmm. to give you a a wider vision of what could be. So you can see all the possibilities that exist out there. It's just crazy to think about like her story and hearing her see something or read something. It was like, I could do better than this. And I remember thinking that as a kid. Uh, and when you, the book we're talking about, Parable of the Sto- Sower, was not one of her earlier works. It was the like eighth or ninth book she ever wrote, and she had started it in her 40s. 
and she talked about this book as being like her culmination of uh the specific um quote i saw it was in a times article and she quoted herself as saying like this was supposed to be her one all be all or this culmination of who she was and her writing and her work and it's really scary not scary it's fascinating to see to reread this book and see so many of the things that i I, when i read this book first it was in 2015 2016 okay and that was right before as trump was getting uh was running for president right and then to see it read it again now at the 2020 right before the 2020 elections it's like mind-blowing I know I didn't read it until we were discussing it for the podcast. So I read it right before. And honestly, I kind of felt that she was some type of prophetess where Mm -hmm. she had just peered into the future and wrote it down because ever since finishing reading this book, I've just thought about personal like preparedness for emergencies Mm -hmm. and what I would take, where I would go, how I would get there, all of these things. And then there are other things where I'm like, I can definitely see something like that happening. Right. And there are so many things that had happened in the past where you see it playing again in the present, but in a new form. You know how we're always mm-hmm. like, oh, it's the 2.0 version of whatever. Ooh. Basically, it's the 2.0 version of that thing. And we'll get more into what I'm talking about specifically as we go. It's interesting you say that because in the panel she was sitting in, she talked about how both there's that concept of there's like a linear, con- not linear, but a continuation, like technology grows and develops, but also there are things that are not so linear about it and go outside of the things you can control in extreme. And it's and in that interview or that panel, she's also the only woman, A, sitting in that panel, and she's also the only black woman sitting in that panel. The rest were all white guys. And it was, it was, she was so, it was crazy to see her assert herself as this one black woman in the room and had these intense ideas about the future. And she said, I'm not a prophetess. She's like, that's not what it is. That's not, I think of this as a cautionary tale. And I'll, and she's like, I certainly hope it's not the future. She always, she, in another interview I read, she was like looking towards when she wrote this, she saw where things were going right now in the nineties when it was like mid nineties when she wrote right. it. And she saw how people could perceive what the future would be like both ecological and economical based on what was going on but she also believed that there were other options and alternatives that we could go to these were just the perceived versions that the negative versions that we can think of but there were also other potential potentialities right well there always are when you're talking about Mm -hmm. the future but it's just very interesting about how i guess one of the things that i read or something that I read with someone else who was talking about her and knowing her, and I can't remember that author's name, Mm -hmm. but she was saying how one of the things that Octavia, or I should say Ms. Butler, Mm -hmm. would continue to to stress was the fact that she had to to force herself or she had to keep herself positive. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's an active process because she was like, you know, you can become dis you know jaded and cynical, pessimistic yeah. pessimistic yeah, cynical mm-hmm. all of that but to continuously maintain positivity despite whatever's going on around you mm-hmm. and that's a huge lesson especially right now as well and i think Diff- that goes real things happen but you still have to try to maintain that positive attitude to help you get through it not that you're 
an idiot and you don't understand what's going on mm. or realize the gravity of it. But you also have to have the hope that things will that things will get better. Right. And it the fact that you say like that that was her belief and that's how she felt and the positivity of shaping your future, like not being passive about it and sitting there and waiting for things to change, but also understanding that like you can't get bogged down in that negativity. You have to shape your happiness and take initiative with your future, which is very much key to the central figure of the story and the religion or the, uh, yeah, she calls it a religion eventually. The religion that is Earthseed in this book. And in another, in the same interview that I referenced earlier, and I'll try to post it, she was saying how she tried to, she tried to write what was true and real to her. Uh, and so she couldn't write things that she didn't believe in because she saw things like religion and other things that can be very divisive. And it's very hard sometimes to write in a novel about uh, certain things like religion or government because if you're writing about religion you're either talking about it in a negative way potentially or, or it can come off that way or if it comes it can come off as I'm trying to sell you on my religion right and so when she wrote this she was trying to be very careful not to come off in either of those ways but also be very authentic to what she feels Where, but she did say that in a way Lauren is more forceful and more uh I don't want to say aggressive was the right is the right word that she used, but she would have been a little bit different in how she handled certain things. But the certain tenets that are of Earthseed are things that are very integral to who she was as a person. Well, for me, it was refreshing because she here she is talking about religion. And that's one of the things that we're always told is like a taboo subject. Don't bring up religion. Don't bring up politics because these things are very emotionally charged. But the other part is, is that when we don't bring them up and mm -hmm. then nothing gets resolved we mm -hmm. don't get a chance to understand where someone else is coming from you may not like it you may not agree but at least I get I have an opportunity to get where you're coming from and you have an opportunity to get where I'm coming from right but if we never talk about anything because we're like oh it's divisive there are things that people disagree with that are not that may be divisive, but you can still have conversations about right. it. Right. And I think that's the thing that we lose when we don't talk about things is learning to have conversations mm -hmm. about things that are important to us that we may disagree on. Definitely. And I think one of the things with what's very in, oh, important about Lauren, the key, the central figure in the story is just for such a young age, she came into this realization that she was not and the actual quote from it is like, because she writes this in the form of like a journal. So you are following through the story day to day with each of her journal entries through both this one and Parable of the Talents, which is the second book. And one of the entries she says is like, at least three years ago, my father's God stopped being my God. And yet today I get baptized because I'm a coward. And so I honestly, when I first read this story, in 2015 and this is me coming back from Korea and I'm not going to get into all of the juice for that but I was in a point where I was like I knew in a way where I was spiritually but at the same time I was very lost because I knew coming back I would have to struggle with being back for a little while mom and dad's home and having to deal with I know they meet it in the best way possible but their religion is not my religion and you remember and when I <laughs> I do decided and, that, and I would take that time in order to go and seclude myself in my and in even my room. before that this is before like while you were in college as yes. well and I was in high school and I started to question where I was and 
our family growing up, which is very much in a lot of a black families, but also just other families that are very religious. My religion is your religion. There's no discussion about it. Um, and growing up, we were the religions of our parents, we, whether we were Catholic or Mormon and the wild, uh, we weren't really when we went to Lutheran school, but no, we were, never there was Lutheran. no discussion of, well, can I, I can still believe and have certain things and ideas and concepts, but not believe the same thing as you. And there was never any discussion about it. And so reading Lauren's character and her, her interaction with her father in this story very much brought me back to like my own struggles and trying to create, not create, but find my own connection with the world and what is spiritual or what is, you know, the universe. And I still, you know, every day and I still have to deal with, you know, every time people trying to bring me back to a faith or try to tell you um, which way you should go. And I remember we did have that conversation um, because even though we grew up in a family, I did not... For me, I did not experience things the way you experienced them. Mm. Not to say that you didn't experience them. It just wasn't the experience that I had. Because for me, my religious beliefs and everything like that, I ended up cultivating independent of my Mm. parents because they were never ones to say, you have to do this. You have to abide by Catholicism. You have to be baptized as a member of the LDS church. They never said anything like that but I do get what you're talking about because even when I was in college I stopped going to church for a while I you know I was like I don't want to go and my friends were like well don't bother and I was like well you're right so I didn't bother Mm. but I think there comes in time in every every individual's life where you choose the route that you're going to go and there were some things that I wanted in my life and things Mm. that I didn't and so I made my choices according to those things that I felt were best for me. And even if I disagree with someone else, they still have the right to make those choices for themselves. Right. And even, like I said, and even if I don't agree, I can still respect the fact that you have the choice and that's the choice that you've made. Yeah. It was definitely, I think, you know, it just happened to be the time we were in, but I eventually got to a place that we're at where we can say that. And, but it's still, was for me thinking about this book and this and the nature of God because I while I consider myself very spiritual I don't and I've studied in college I studied a lot of like East Asian philosophy I studied religions and other cultures right. I studied different philosophies and like the connections for me are very big and there was something that caught my eye the first time I read this book and it was what it was a post note and I wrote it on a post-it note and it's a post note I've kept on my wall ever since I read it the first time and I believe it's like the first in one of the first few chapters of the book. Um, but it's like the base tenet of her of Lauren's religion that she that she develops or creates. And it was all that you touch, you change all that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change changes God. And it was like for me even with the word God, because she talks about in the story why she uses it. And it's also one of the reasons why I use it interchangeably when I speak to people about any kind of religion or spirituality or things like that, is that God is something that the word God is something that's very palatable to most people to understand. But that idea that there is this, everything is about changing and adapting and evolving and growing. And in the story, that's very much what the characters have to do. They have to learn to change and evolve to the situations going on. You had, yeah, yeah, you had a lot of people when she's in her town or her little community before the 
when the wall's up who keep wanting to go back to the way things are were and in the very beginning of the story she references a moment when she's with her stepmother and they're looking up at the stars because most of the lights have gone away there's not much electricity at night to save and she's like they're thinking about things will go back to normal eventually and it's that whole concept and that's another big theme of not only this book, but like another few of other uh, of Octavia Butler's other stories is that there's this idea that if we just wait passively too, things will change. And that's something that happens, I think, with an argument with religion sometimes is that people because I think there were a few people in the story that that happened where they were waiting for God to save them. And right. she's like, you can't be passive. You can't just wait for it. you also. And that also brings to mind some of the sayings that people talk about where you know one of the big ones is god helps those who help themselves Mm -hmm. now granted a lot of people use that in a negative Mm -hmm. but it can also be the same thing in a positive as well i'm like if you don't help yourself Mm -hmm. then how are you gonna sit there and wait for god to help you it's just like when they have that uh that story about you know a person is like stuck in a situation and they need help getting out of and then these people keep coming to help them one by one and the person was like no I'm waiting for God to help me and it was like God sent people to help you right it just may not be in the form that you You, thought it was was going to be or you want it and that's another thing it's like you have to be open to a universe whatever your thing is when they give you opportunities being open to the fact they're not going to be what you expect them to be and that you have to be able to be flexible and cha- and be able to change and be fluid, but also have certain core values that are that keep you whole, which I think is also an important thing that separates Lauren and the group of people she travels with from the gangs and the the people running rampant and rab- rabid and like attacking people and the amount of violence and pure lust for violence, as opposed to them having to kill when necessary but never like kind of overstepping that line. There isn't, they haven't, they haven't lost the part of them that makes them to a degree still human. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say civilized cause that's not what, yeah. what, what, that's not what I'm, what I'm thinking of, but the fact that there are core beliefs within you that won't change. And yes, you have the right to defend yourself and protect yourself mm-hmm. and your life. Yes. But you don't have to be excessive or go, go a step beyond that. And what you mentioned about change and also how it's mentioned in Parable of the Sora, I I agree Mm -hmm. with most of what she, I agree with much of what she said about that. And it also reminded me of a quote from, gosh, why can't I see a blank on names? That's all right. uh, Bruce Lee. Uh Uh-huh. And he talked about water and he, and it was an interview that he did years ago where he said, be like water because it can flow it can crash and you know and if you think about water how fluid it is it mm-hmm. can move around things it can wear through things it can it be can immovable so when it's yes. frozen yeah and that's why i do appreciate eastern philosophy a good deal about being in harmony with the world around you but also knowing that there's change and that you can adapt to these changes mm-hmm. in order to keep going there's definitely just so much in here. And this is why, okay, so just to, I, I, I think I was going to start mostly talking about Octavia, but I feel like I'm going to pull up things about her as we talk about it um, or talk about her and the story. But when I'm reading this and like when I went back again and saw all these interviews and articles, there's so much of her 
self in these books and it feels very real and I feel a very real connection to a lot of her characters and that's one of the things that she's touted touted for is that did I say that right tooted for touted for I was right the first time yes uh was that she can bring this kind of nuance and depth to her characters when representing black experience in the future like think real things that we would have to think about and deal with keeping our religion and connections in our community in the future being a and like the ideas of race and uh racial connections in the future and how we have to interact interact but also what things we have to overcome as well as even just being a black woman in the future and now yes because isn't it funny that no matter how bad the future becomes Mm -hmm. The one thing that doesn't go away is racism. Not for at some all. reason. That's one of the one things that doesn't go away. And the thing is, there's lots of mixing going on because a there lot of is. people she meets, but there's still she she at one point is like, I have a better chance, yes, of being with this mixed couple because of my own female and brown skin. But also, we're more of a target because people are going to be like, why are you with this white woman? Or why are you with this black woman? Or why are you with this Hispanic man? That kind of thing. Well, but there's also... It sorry. also, it also uh, reminds me of one of the things that one of the other characters that travels with Lauren mm-hmm. in the story says that it's more dangerous. It doesn't matter if you... Because um, how Lauren chooses to travel for her own self-protection, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if you are LGBTQ couple or a mm-hmm. heterosexual couple, mm-hmm. but as long as you are white and anything other, other than, than being white, mm-hmm. it's going to be dangerous from you and you're going to have problems. But if you're with someone who is another uh, person of color, then for the most part, you'll be fine. Right. Nobody really cares about that. But if you're with somebody who's white, that becomes an issue while you're traveling mm-hmm. along the road. But it's weird. Cause she at one point does reference that I, uh, for one of the guards that comes from one of the company towns that we'll talk about a little later was a black guard and she wonders about how he got that position but it was a black guard and a white guard no other time though do I feel like she really references the guards race like when they go to that one town but that was the one they exception don't. that popped into my mind where I was like because even when the cops come and we'll talk about the police system and the fire department without trying to give away any spoilers but there was no mention of color there too. It was only when I, when she mentions those security guards. And I think the reason why is possibly the same reason why we don't really mention mm-hmm. something unless it's something that's out of the ordinary for mm-hmm. us. Like I, I remember, I don't know where I was flying in from, but when I was heading to get off the plane, there was a black pilot mm-hmm. who was standing at the door. And I was like, there's, there's a, a black pilot. pilot. I've never seen a black pilot before. Of all the times I've ever flown on a on, right on a if commercial anything, flight, like, they're probably there the has never been a black pilot who's been standing there, right? Like, and he was he was the head pilot. I don't know what they call it, uh, captain. The captain. Thank you. You're the welcome. captain. I was about to say captain pilot. <laughs> captain I was like pilot. co-pilot's the wrong word. The captain. But here is the captain standing there, and I was like, oh my gosh! And all and I like, can I is, touch you? Yes. I was like, I want to take a picture. Right. But I didn't want to make him feel. You should just be like, I always just, I love airplanes. And cabins. Like, I know. If I don't, you were I a kid, how, it would have been different. If, yes. Yeah, but yeah. I, but that was the one other thing that popped into my head was I wish there were kids on this flight, mm-hmm. black kids or children seeing of, this that could see this and say, Hey, 
I can do that too. I want to be a pilot. Mm. And here's this man who was standing there and a pilot. And I was, it was not that long ago for me. And that's the first time I've ever seen a black pilot outside of the movie. Right. And that's the, 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 what I think one of the things is really important is that she writes us in and it goes back to that interview. We're talking about Richard Pryor where he was talking about where I forgot who the, the TV show host was or the interviewer was asking, would you write, would you do a role that was written by a white person? And he was like, I would write it if it's written for a human. She saw that she was saw there was a lack of writing black people into special, specifically sci-fi and fantasy because that's her genre and her niche, but in stories in general where we're being, written as either only tools to progress the story or idiots of some form and she wanted to see herself in there and in this interview that I saw it said that Butler ignored the received idea that black people belonged in science fiction only if their blackness was a crucial was crucial to the plot in 1979 a fellow science sci-fi writer advised Butler that points about race might better be made with extraterrestrials the th- thought and that's so you, you got to be alien you can't yeah, be black but you can be an alien that's how you talk about race you can't have black people there but you could talk about aliens because it's like okay so people are better able to comprehend the idea of us mixing with aliens before we can mix them with other people of color yes that right there just like blew my mind and it goes on to say that as she wrote in a 1980 essay for the magazine transmission titled lost races of science fiction no writer who regards blacks as people, human beings, with the usual variety of human concerns, flaws, skills, and hopes, etc., would have trouble creating interesting backgrounds and goals for black characters. She later made a habit of explaining, I wrote myself in, since I'm me, and I'm here, and I'm writing. I can write my own stories. I can write myself in. I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that brings to mind um, when we talk about um, Star Trek. Yeah, and how up until that time you could not actually visible, you didn't see any black people just in space. A, just it Aurora. was just like, <laughs> like they just magically no longer existed. There are only white people that we had. We the had stars. one representative, and she was a woman who was not allowed to kiss Captain Kirk on TV. Well, until it happened, and they were there were concerns about it that the mm. network was trying to shut it down because mm. they didn't think it was it was above board or whatever yeah. the issue was mm-hmm. at the time. They, did you hear how they, how they, tr- they tricked him into putting the actual one that got on TV? Yeah. I yeah. heard about all those times, but just, just the idea of that and how the actress who played Ahura, Michelle Nichols. Thank you. Michelle Nichols. Michelle. Michelle. Yes. All right. Michelle, you know, my brain, it's just not as, I've as only, snuff she, as I was reading me. something that something happened to her. That's the only reason I remember. Right. But it was because she was going to quit the show. Mm-hmm. And it was Martin Luther King Jr. Whose child had seen. He her. was also. He, he was also watched it. He was yes. a fan. And when he found out she was going to quit the show, mm-hmm. he's the one who talked her out of it. Because he was like, no, you need to stay. Yeah. And she was like, There's no, so I want to go and I want to do Broadway. There are these other things, these other projects I want to do. It's what I've been trained for. Mm-hmm. That's what I want. And he was like, no, you have no idea how important 
you are. That's sad that they under they underused her though. When you think about all the things she did and she could was do. a telephone operator, communication right. Officer. You're like mother, you but know? at least she was there. She was she there. was the one yeah. person. She was an intelligent woman mm-hmm. on a spaceship full of other intelligent people, mm-hmm. which was mostly male dominated. Yes, because you really didn't even see that many other women except for like. Maybe. Unless they were love interests. Yes. And even then they had like side roles of science or. Exactly. You know. But she was a member of the cast. Yes. Um, and that made a huge difference because the next time you saw another woman in space mm-hmm. was Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah. Guinan. Woo woo. So between Star Trek and Star Trek, the next generation, there were no, no real. There, there were no be like, people. You know what someone told me color. one time? They were like, there was Worf. I was like, Worf is I, a Klingon. He's an alien. Right. I was like, first off, <laughs> yes, the person who played him was black. But that does yes. not count because that was not who his character yes, was. Yes, he was an alien. He And see, that brings up what you just mentioned mm. about you can be. You can talk about race in terms of alien cultures mixing yeah. with white people. But and never. I mean alien from off this point, off yeah. this world, off world. But as long as it's people who are already here, you can't talk about that. That makes absolutely no sense. Apparently she tried to like at one point do that in a way. I forgot which book it was. It was where she, I, uh, I got to look it up where she writes that I think a woman after a nuclear war, a woman wakes up in the future and find like she's with the Martians. And so she has to interbreed with them or decide to interbreed or, or the human race will basically end. Wow. But it won't end because technically they'll she, be half human, half Martian. Right. So there's this whole dilemma, but uh, she, I think I can't remember. I think it's the same interview from that. I, that I'll post, but she was like, I was not really happy with that book because it kind of plays to that that idea of of the only way we can talk about interracial mixing is through the extraterrestrial and it wasn't one of her favorite or not one of her best books in her opinion like when she reflected on it years later and i find it interesting that the human race ends Mm -hmm. if you don't enter uh inter intermingle with this other group right it's like so all humanity is just this one particular group of people and it then was just her that, it was just her there was no other human ever but in, i but yeah. just the idea if you take it and you think about it as in aliens being actual other people of color mm-hmm. then like if humanity, i was the last white, white person in the world yeah well but then you're talking about the last human person and then mm. all those other people are no longer are not layers human. yo that's Octavia, what i'm getting Octavia to butler just like <sighs> we lost her too soon we did it that was that was a yeah. huge downside but, but just the things that she she left and one of my favorite quotes from the book mm, go ahead was bread and circuses yes. politicians and big corporations get the bread and we get the circuses and that was what lauren's father had told her or he told the family mm-hmm. and Anytime I see what's going on in the news now, that's all I think of is bread and circuses. Big corporations and politicians get the bread and we get the circuses because that's all. And it distracts and people get caught up into it. It's a huge game of misdirection. Mm. You look at this over here while we're over here messing around and and doing other things that are far worse that you don't see. I'm not going to, I was, I was just about to go on a tangent with all the things going on. I was like, no, cause that, that'll distract us from what we're talking about here, which is kind of what we're talking about. But the idea of this ability, I think in the story they use space 
and there's this disagreement between her and her father and the idea of like what space could be because yes there in a sense it was being used as a distraction of what was going on because uh, everyone questioned why are we still trying to go to space which is what's going on now when we have all this economic collapse and uh, ecological issues and disasters why are we trying to go to space and I see it twofold because it when I think about all the sci-fi movies and books that I've read and the option of like humanity has basically used up the earth and the earth is like the connection with the earth is no more we have to to extend ourselves and again going back to how do we continue humanity if we're faced with this 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 concept are we able to get into space and she said at one point in an interview that she hopes she thinks that we have to have more than just the desire to be adventurous in space so in the past it was just about space exploration and kind of exploring and seeing new worlds and the, the possibility of living somewhere else but now it's become a real very real thing is like if we destroy this earth is there the real possibility of exploring someplace else that's like right. this planet and lauren very much believes that we have to still entertain the idea because there's still hope in the stars there's still hope in believing that if the if we do have to give up the earth and it's a very real possibility what are we willing to do to get there and are we able to get there and that's also something that lauren struck not struggles with i think it's very much a core of lauren's per being is that she has certain values and morals but she also knows there's certain things that have to be done to make it to be able to survive and it's about survival true it is about survival but then also the question is who gets to survive because when you mentioned that that made mm. me think of that movie 2012 when they had the same thing with like the ships if you haven't seen 2012 yeah. i'm gonna spoil it for you Spoiler! it's 2020 you probably should have seen it by now <laughs> <laughs> i mean it happened in 2012 exactly <laughs> but the fact is that here's the world is about to end and the governments have known about it and they've mm -hmm. planned for it but who are the only people who get a chance to leave? The people who are wealthy. Right. They're the ones who bought their way on. They were the ones who were given the opportunity to buy their way on for themselves and their families mm -hmm. so that they could be saved. But everybody else was expendable. So that goes to what Lauren was, was uh, saying is that we have to be our own change. We have to form our own future because our politicians have failed us. The world has failed us. So we have to create our own to save ourselves. Going back to... God helps those who helps themselves. And when she, at one point she talks about her God, which she calls change and she calls chaos at different points. There's, it's a very fluid concept, but it's still very concrete. But she says, my God doesn't love me or hate me or watch over me or know me at all. And I feel no love for or loyalty to my God. My God just is. And sometimes it's like you, she, in her, when you think of like how she approaches certain things in the story, it's kind of like there th yes that's cruel or yes this is unjust or yes that that is a terrible thing but yeah and yes there's still hope but we may have to dirty our hands or do certain things to survive but at the same time we have to know what that line is and never and and how to keep ourselves from crossing that line and what can we, we create to keep us lo loyal because even when she's meeting these people on the road they have to build a sense of trust right you know, with each other, they, they're not, they're still, they're all coming from their own shattered past. 
and there's a connection, but at the same time, they can't just readily rely that that's trustworthy. They have right. to approve each other, depending on the person. Mm-hmm. And it's not the same for all the people right. that she comes across. Each person, because of people's, like you said, the circumstances where they're coming from, how they've how they've had to live. Mm-hmm. But there's this expectation: you do right by us, we'll do right by you. Right. The moment that that ceases to be the case, you out. Exactly. And one of the things that I really liked that was mentioned in the in the book was drowning people sometimes die fighting their rescuers. Yeah. And you can yeah. see that happening so often where people just like, no, no. It was like, this will help you. No, no. because you're the person who's saying it. And just to think about the divisiveness that we see mm-hmm. when we talk. And I'm going to go with politics here. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter which side you're on, but if you're on either one of two sides, Republican or Democrat. But the fact is that things that would be good for all people, irregardless, re- sorry, not irregardless, that's not regardless. regardless of mm-hmm. what side you're on, people will still fight against it because it was this person from this particular party that said it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it doesn't even matter. It could be something that you both agree on. And because they said it on the other side, now I have the to say, no. yeah, it just makes no sense the the way we so it's kind of so a big theme of hers is communities and how we build ourselves into communities but also how we separate ourselves from each other and it's coming back to the idea of politics of how we're all americans when we face the outside when we talk about ourselves to the the outside world and when we go to the outside world outside the country they don't consider you this that or other american you're all we're all Mm. american and yet on when we come in internally the number of a communities that have been built because of trauma and how they've been together but also communities that are built off of hate and anger and fear and lust and greed and all those negative things as well divide us so much and it and i think it's the the when you come when you uh what's the word i'm looking for when you understand the development of lauren's group as they go through travel and how you have these people from different communities who have to kind of put aside their skepticism or their fear or their distrust or whatever versions of their truth that they have because they need to survive what are you willing to like what are you willing to do to survive what what bs between your you and another group are you willing to do to survive and not just survive but also continue to grow and live on and i think when we think about what's going on in this world and specifically within the united states we're going to have like going back to what you said earlier we're going to have differing opinions on a lot of things that's just who we are as people we're different people we're different beings we have our own soul and individuality but we still have to exist in this world together we still have to survive this world together because the sun is going to die eventually you know with science and when that goes out we can't be sitting here squabbling around and not that's going to happen now but you see what i'm saying like there's so much once once when the ish hits the fan you're not going to be sitting there wondering about this person's socioeconomic background Mm -hmm. the color of their skin who they sleep with or anything like that you don't care mm. at that point because none sh- of that matters you the shouldn't qu- care yeah the, the, qu- the only thing that matters is is this person going to help me stay alive because mm-hmm. that's the same thing that they're wondering about you right and if it's like if i can get a good night's sleep and not have to sleep with one eye open on this other for this person then we then all we're survive gonna have to make we're gonna we're, we'll have to put aside all that other crap right and just 
go our way together. And that goes to different things that are motifs in even in, in most end of the world or apocalypse movies. And when you think of the most recent Lovecraft, when they're in, I'm not going to spoil it, but there's a point where they're trapped with a monster and they're like, we need to work together. And there was still that idea of that racist belief was still held strong. And so people ended up dead. When you think back to, was it Dawn of the Dead? One of the first movies where you had a strong black lead who was not putting up with white shit. And he's, let me not get off topic, but (laughs) he is in there with these white people. And it's like, look, we need to put these differences aside if we're trying to survive the night. And you have all these different instances, walking dead, right? You people come together and when they don't, people end up up dead. dead. So, and the the same thing happens in Octavia Butler is not, trying to this is not like a happy all story there are times where they come together and and there's distrust or something goes wrong because people did trust each other but something still go, can go wrong and that she talked that that was supposed to be some of the things that would happen in the later books um was that idea of that no matter what you do right as well to, some things can still go wrong and you Bad have to be able to always happen exactly and you still have to what are you going to do to adapt with everything that was going so right and working so well but now it no longer works for this situation exactly and it goes back to the the words about change because it's everything is going to change no matter how m- uh, many of the right moves you might make you're even though you make decisions you can't control the decisions other people make mm-hmm or how their experiences have shaped their thought processes on something on certain things. But like like we've been saying is the fact that you got to make it work in order to advance the entire group including yourself and those mm-hmm. people that you care about. You got to work with other people. You got to be able to reach across and be like, "Look, we'll have to stow that portion of whatever we disagree with and figure it out. And figure <laughs> it out another time because that's right now if it's between living and dying, Whatever we are squabbling about mm-hmm. that does not meet that criteria of a staying alive or possibly ending right here for everybody, mm-hmm. that doesn't matter. Yeah. And it it's, happens in every story. I feel like every time I watch a movie where they decide to fight about something and they die and you're sitting there, why are you fighting? Now like, is, is not, not the time. The time. For right? This is really not, <laughs> the, not time. the time for this. And but it, that happens all the time mm-hmm. is that you see people and they sit there and they squabble. And you're like, at the time it took you to go through this, mm-hmm. y'all could have been dead five times over already. And here we go. We're about to all die. And there's, when you think it's just there, what I'm thinking about now too, something that blew my mind as we're talking is just, I think about now with a DNC convention that they had and they had people from across the lake by lake I mean the Democratic Republican side come through and like talk about now is the time that we have a a madman in the house we need to I mean we don't like Democrats but we need to come over to the side and vote for Joe Biden because we need to get Trump out is what some of them are saying and it's that idea that mentality but we don't have enough people doing it like, Hey, we need to work together a to stop one thing. And then we need to seriously assess after this point, what we need to do to survive and what things need to change to survive. And it goes to the idea of compassion too, which is also a very big topic in this is that having compassion for others and what they're going through, but also not letting that, that compassion, what's the word I want to, not freeze you, but like, uh, limit you or hold you back your ability to to survive yourself and take care of others because in this Lauren has this ability 
where she has this hyper empathy for other things. And for a lot of people that can be where I need to make change or I need to protect myself, but I'm worried how it will hurt someone else. Or if I have a friend who is going through something and I've tried to be supportive and tried to help them, but if they choose to be on that downward spiral, there's got to be a point where you have to, to be able to cut off, kill that link so that you can survive. And then it can go into other things uh, like variations of that. That's just kind of what come to mind, came to mind first. No, that's an important thing because you can't save everybody. Unfortunately, no matter how well-intentioned you are, that is just impossible. You can't save everybody. Not everybody wants to be saved. Some people just want to wallow in their misery. Mm. No matter all your good intentions, no matter how much you may want to help. You, you can only help people who want to be helped yeah. and who are willing to, to be helped. And I think that's a difficult thing to sometimes say because those of us who are very empathetic and sensitive to other people... You don't want to feel like you're just abandoning people, but sometimes you have to let them go because they will drag you down. Mm. It's just like trying to go out and save somebody who's drowning. And every time you try to go out there, they're just clinging on to you. And the more they cling on to you, it'll drown you both. It'll right. take you both down. So you might have to like let them go or you might have to try to be like, look, I threw out this buoy for you. Mm-hmm. Grab hold of it. But if they choose not to grab hold of it, don't throw yourself out you there can't to throw be yourself drowned. out there. So right. then you can they can clatch, drown latch onto you and then drown you mm-hmm. and take you down with them. And that's a difficult thing. And I think especially uh, there are parents who possibly feel that when it comes to, with uh, children who have done things and vice versa and, and also fa- or family members. I shouldn't say parents, mm-hmm. but family members or friends. Mm-hmm. And you have to sometimes be like, you know what? I can't help you anymore. And that might be in the form of money. It could be in the form of time. It could be in the form of like maybe coming around. I don't know mm-hmm. what would be the best thing, but the sometimes the best thing is to put some space between you and that person. Yeah. And it's a tough thing, but sometimes that's how it is. And I think honestly, that's just one of the facets of compassion too, that she goes through and there's more and I, I, I won't drift off into that because I there's so much we want to talk about but that idea of just knowing when to put your energy in injuries energy into things and when to 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 pull back and and do what you need to do to survive and when you think about the, when I think about if I was in the end of the world what would I do if like there is certain death or you or like you you know, when you watch people die in the movie, they're watching their friend die and like, your friend is dead. You should keep going. And then they stop. It's like, what do you do in that situation? Like, how do you pull yourself through it out? These are conversations I have with myself, you guys, of who would I leave behind? and Who would I try to go back for? Compassion. Those are, those are important things to, to, to think about and to know, because like I said, you can't always save somebody and you, sometimes you may not always be able to go back Mm -hmm. for somebody. Even if you want to, the hard thing to do would be to still keep going forward. Uh, I don't know what I would do in the end of the world, but on the other end of that compassion spectrum is also when to help people. Because there's times where Lauren breaks her own code and people are like, hey, uh, you said back there we shouldn't do this. Now we're helping this pe- this person. Now they can up there and slash, slash our throats while we're sleeping or something like that. 
and it's it, it's something that's also very difficult and, and I think Octavia Butler doesn't spare the complexity and difficulty of that situation of having to decide and guess but feel confident in when you allow people the benefit of the doubt or allow people the time to 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 help them and when you decide to like back out right and there are certain things that happen that for some of Lauren's decisions where you can say you can understand why she made the decision that she made because it just didn't come out of nowhere there was some thought behind it before an invitation to join would be made what's something else interesting I have uh, many other topics but I feel like I've been leading I think one of the things that I really liked was when her father was teaching her about teaching people versus scaring them Mm, yeah um because Lauren knows that that things are going to go sideways because the way they're living is not sustainable. And she tells someone who's very close to her mm-hmm. in the community about that. And that person freaks out. Mm-hmm. And because of that, there's this huge issue that just kind of boils over. Spoiler. And Lauren's father has comes in and they talk about it. And he, as a minister, is trying to impart something that's very important that I feel to her which is the fact that if you teach people mm-hmm. versus scare them they'll be more receptive because one of the things he says is that when you, once you scare them then you lose them and it'll be even harder for you to get back that relationship or that trust that they had in you once that's lost that's an interesting concept because i it's something that I, I really loved with her father said but now that i'm thinking about kind of just currently trump's current campaign but really the past one where he scared people but there were fears that were already there. But, and the same thing with Lauren, when she told the, that person, it was fears, she inflamed fears that were already there. And in her case, it didn't work. And maybe because she was a kid and she doesn't have the, the spear of influence or blah, 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 blah. But also to his point, he was, I think it was a very good pivot in advice. But then I think about like what's going on with Trump and how easy it was for him to use fear and to scare people into you know voting and doing things that are like illogical in the sense of like it's very obvious he's there's no way to dis- dissuade certain things that he's he's been influential in allowing to happen that hurt them as well and yet they're so staunch about still supporting him because there's still the greater fear that controls their decision making right i just thought that was just really those that was a powerful statement that he made yeah no i'm not dissuading that i just no but i'm just saying for me because it did bring to mind a quote that i have from benjamin franklin and i'm Mm. gonna paraphrase but it was basically about if you involve me in something then Mm -hmm. i learn but if you just tell me Mm -hmm. i won't listen yeah i might pick up one thing but that but not really you know yeah i get what you're saying and then because if you think about the media news and things like that what do they do they traffic in scaring people Mm -hmm. And there was something that I saw a long time ago, or I can't remember who it was. I really wish I had kept a better track of of these things that I I watch and see. But one of the things was the fact that in journalism, they found that news where black people were attacking white people or black people were violent towards white people was far more lucrative than white people attacking black people or white people attacking white people or anything like that. And so what was the thing that they threw, kept throwing at people? 
the fact that black people are always attacking things. And so what did it do? It skewed people's perception of what's, of what's really going on because those are, the, you know, how we say, how we heard, if it bleeds, it leads. That's basically it. Well, it's leading because that's what people are interested in. That's whatever story that they've been telling themselves in their head for centuries is the thing that they want to continue to see playing out in the news. And so what did they give you? They gave you exactly what you wanted to see. They scared you because right. that's what you wanted. That's what you wanted. It was like horror movies for free, for the, for the that's most part. That's true. Some I think after, when you think about a lot of stuff that's been on the news and how much they show on the news, it's like it's all there. You, the, I when I think I've seen everything, there's always something more where I'm just like I didn't need to. But it draws people in. It's true, and it heightens the fear. And it's something about fear that's so alluring and terrifying. Like, it's ter- something that terrifies you. It's fear, but then at the same time, you, you know, when you see people in movies or they're, like they're frozen with fear, or like drawn to it because it's so entrancing, and then they show it to you again and mm-hmm. again and again. So here's the same thing. Here's the same thing from a different angle, mm-hmm. and that's all you keep seeing over and over again to just reinforce that. And yet here we are, and it also goes to the point of like also gender in the news and how they cover different stories and how we present what's really going on I was we were talking about this earlier because I've been on the stint of watching criminal minds again and that concept of like the victim and who we give the most press to when it's the difference between like a little white girl or a little a little white boy to a child of color going missing or having a sexual assault and how much emphasis and and man or materials and resources go into that as opposed to someone from a lower class community or a different racial line or excuse me group um go ahead on that one of the examples that always comes to mind when i when i see something like that is mom used to watch a show called without a trace Mm -hmm. and it was about the fbi and they were supposed to be finding people who that were missing I didn't watch the show, but there was one day that I did catch a episode and in it, two teenagers disappeared. One was a black male. The other was a white female. And so what happened was they already gave preferential aid. They put more agents on the case for the white girl that was missing than for the black boy that was missing. And when one of the agents said something about it, they were like, well, we got to try to figure out, who it is that we can find, blah, blah, blah. There were all these excuses for why they did not treat the cases equally mm-hmm. until it ended up eventually having pretty much all of the agents working on the white girl's case and only one agent, I think, working on the black boy's case that had gone missing. And there comes a point where the, the two mothers mm-hmm. are sitting in the office and the white mother comes up to the black mother and she says, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I was sorry to hear about your son. And the other one was like, yeah, I was sorry to hear about your daughter. And I guess there was the way that the black mother said it, where the white mother says, my child's missing too. And the black mother looks at her and goes, I know. Everyone knows your child is missing. And I was just like, that was such a powerful statement because Mm -hmm. it was true. Everyone knew her child was missing. But here's this other mother and nobody knows. Nobody's covering on the news. Mm -hmm. Nothing. No one has any idea that her child is missing and that she's also going through this hell trying to figure out but what happened to her child. Unless her, unless her child's out there murdering someone, no one will hear about her child. Exactly. And then at the end of the episode, 
they find one of the children alive and the, one of them is dead. Mm-hmm. They don't and tell they, you which one? No, they don't tell you which one. Damn. They just go to, you just see the, the agents go towards where both of the mothers are sitting because they've been sitting together this whole time. But it was like, you know, and that's what really ticked me off about yeah, that Yeah, I, I was like, damn. Like, oh, which one did you find? I haven't even watched the episode and I'm pissed. I was like trying not to say something. Yes, <laughs> that's what really ticked, that, that was one of the other things that really ticked me off about that episode. But the fact is that that was a huge thing and it still happens even now. Hmm. Little black and brown children go missing. You don't hear about them. You don't see them. Nothing. Mm-hmm. There is absolutely nothing. Little white children go missing. They're all over the place. Mm-hmm. It was like one group of children is not more valuable than the other. But yet when it comes to media and press and coverage and things like that and attention mm-hmm. for some reason where you're supposed to have journalistic integrity where you're supposed to be reporting the news there is a difference right and it, and then it's, it's crazy because that extends in racial class class lines as well when you have sex workers or people or people on the street going missing being murdered or because even in the story you know you have all these unknowns these people who are on the street i think in the really be- in the very beginning as they're biking outside of this community they see this woman walking naked and staggering and kind of out of it and, and she's bleeding and she's bleeding and it's like she, more than likely when you talk about when they talk about these people out in the street it was people who were left by the system who were uncared for anyway and already these people that were dis- uh, uh, d- dispensable is that the word I'm looking for? Expendable. 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 Thank you. I was about to say dependable. And I was like, that's not right. But this idea that there is a group of people, whether it's race or class or, or hierarchy, which is a big thing with uh, Octavia Butler and a lot of her books is the idea of a hierarchy and the importance of who, of, of people and what is considered human. We allow ourselves to let these people just be out on the street and disappear and not say anything and not give them the same equal footing and, and care and follow protection. up and protection. And that's a huge issue still. Well, I mean, it's been like that since the beginning of time, I guess, but this idea that you're less than because you're not me. And it's like, who decided what this had to be the general me why is it that you're the me that we all have to be compared to and then less than if we're not? Yeah. Didn't you ever, didn't you learn from Jafar? It was like about the golden rule. Whoever has the gold makes the rules. That's true. I don't have any gold. And that's a, a really cool thing about even though we are when I think about a lot of uh, future like apocalyptic books and movies that I read when I was younger, there wasn't that much mention of the pers- a person of color. And if it was, it was a one-off novel. And there's something that uh, ten, oh, I can never say her right, her name right. Tanana Rive Due, Tanana Tanana Rive Due. She says Afrofuturism is the audacity to imagine a thriving future for Black people or any future. So it doesn't, have, and in this case, it's not thriving, but it is in a way. In the sense of like her family when she's growing up still had to an extent more than some other people did. And they were able to survive going back to community. But also in the same sense of the word, there were other people who were left behind or had if they did have an option. There was one girl who had to be the third wife to the one right. guy in the neighborhood and who could afford to, to pay to pay to buy her or you're a prostitute 
or you or you become part of this uh, these gangs that ran around doing drugs and like smashing and destroying. Um, so there were all these different groups, these marginalized groups that either became the terrors now because they were left to just die and run ragged or they're the ones being used as fodder for other people to just destroy and 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 burn and I think use. one of my favorite things was the sharecropping and slavery 2.0. Yeah. Where it ended up being created by companies. Slavery with another name. Yes. <laughs> But it was, but it was companies. Yeah. So if it companies wasn't a system have. of sharecropping, does of this, uh, does this remind you of Amazon? <laughs> it it was yeah. Watch well, Amazon. Yeah. 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 With some of the things that they did, and I'm not gonna go too deep into it. But if you read about it, you'll be like, yeah, you could you can totally see mm-hmm. that companies could start doing that because so much of our lives is tied up into companies. But then when companies become kind of their own like little principalities mm-hmm. and their own little, little towns aren't there actual cities and they're really small but cities in the u.s that are basically company towns probably you have factory towns yeah before, and when the factory left the whole town shut down bye-bye continue i think i ran and that's basically the, the same thing you still have that but they have far more power than they did before and then when i talk about sharecropping the whole idea of they pay you but they pay you so little and then you get charged everything. And so everything you get charged gets taken out or you have to open up a line of credit. Right. Or they take advantage of you and cut you out on something or tax you for something that didn't even exist before. Exactly. So then you never get out of debt. So you're always beholden to the company. That makes me think of, what was it? One of the guys who ends up traveling with her, he had the option of going to one of those company towns. and they was only a, take white people. and. Well, no, because there, I, there no, were some other people. There were some other people that got in, in a different town, but there, but there are different. That particular town, he, because she, he got offered to go with them, and he uh-huh. didn't want to go because of the idea of, that you just talked about. It's just like, yeah, there's a certain security to going that. So in the story, there's a security of going to these places because you don't have the idea, the the poss- potentially the possibility of being ransacked and murdered and raped and pillaged basically so because there were security guards all around but in exchange for that security you give up your freedom to choose and decide for yourself and then you're enslaved basically to having to this debt because i think at one point one of the people who go there they call and they're basically like yeah it's nothing like they said we barely can survive we don't can't afford a telephone anymore but they had one when they were in the community right um so the the guy says freedom is dangerous but it's precious too you can't just throw it away or let it slip away you can't sell it for food or pottage like so there's no amount of security that is worth giving giving up your freedom right but yet people do it all the time Mm -hmm. they trade freedom for security even if you think about even now people think that they will get more security with certain things that are happening with the police and things like that, I was like, but you're not seeing the big picture because the thing is that what happens, and if you want to go through history, um, something that most people really like to go back to is World War II, or pre-World War II, I should say, is that when the Nazis rose in Germany, the first people they went after were the Jews and people who were different and that they thought were less than. And once, and when people didn't say anything, when they started to round up people within those particular communities, 
when it started to spiral out from there, right? That's when it was like, oh, oh, snap! It's not my problem till it's, it's my problem, and then it became the entire world's problem. Mm-hmm. But that's the same thing. I was like, you can't sit there and just be like, well, it's not my problem. Where you have people who are being gunned down by the police on the street because they don't look like me. Right. Well, once they're me. gone, who do you think is going to be left? Well, once you get rid of people that of people of color, next will be people who are poor. Mm-hmm. And once those there, you know, no more people, people of color, and no be more poor people, people who do this or people who have that or exactly. Well, then who who else is left? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's basically what they also mentioned about these company these company towns as well is because they said, well, yeah, you have security that's supposed to be protecting people, but that probably does not apply to Everyone these then. workers that are going in there. Right. They're probably fair game. They will probably leave the wealthy people alone right. until they're either run out of money or they can no longer, or the workers are no longer any more fun. Mm-hmm. And even then some of the people that ended up being workers are going, the ones who were so afraid to, that were willing to go to these towns were people who were rich or at least well off to a certain point. But with the economic decline and the the collapse in this that happened prior to, they lost everything and couldn't imagine what it'd be like to hustle or have to like work or create something or work hard again if they worked. They may have worked hard to get there, but at this time, they no longer had any of those comforts and they were willing to go to create, sell their town to become a company town because the idea, the very idea of what the unknown of having to struggle to survive or work together to create something was too great for them. I don't want to say right. too great for them, but terrifying for it, them. Yeah. Well, it could be both too great and terrifying mm. to even fathom or think about because it goes back to how do you survive? Because if I can't trust you and, and I don't want to trust you, then, you know, it's the path of least resistance. It's the easiest thing to do. And it also thinks of like how how prepared are you? And that's a big thing of, of the story is being prepared not only individually but as a community. A lot of uh, the people in the story that she meets does not do not know how to survive. These were things that she figured out she needed to teach herself and she learned from other people. Um, and not a lot of people have to deal with that or choose to plan B if something might might go wrong you should never hope for that something will go wrong but you should, should always be prepared, prepared for it um so you're not in that situation and yet you had people who lost everything and were willing to sell their quote-unquote soul to just have a modicum of security but it's not even security or some people who just gave up mm. they just it was it was too hard they felt that they lost too much it wasn't worth fighting anymore and one of the other things is that you could get, and it was an interesting conversation between a couple of the other characters that are with Lauren later mm-hmm. in the story, where if you were white, you could be, you could be a driver. Yeah. And I remember one of the characters, he was talking about how what was really important to him and what is really important to so many people now is the fact that having your own land, being mm-hmm. able to build your own home, to have your own home, have your own business. Yeah. Th- that was something that he really wanted. And it's under that's an understandable desired ambition. It's not something that we would say would be a negative, mm-hmm. but the fact that, you know, things weren't working out so that that could be something that he could attain mm-hmm. um, at the point that they found themselves it with. So when he was talking about looking for a job, one of the other members of their group, 
Oh yeah. Let's him know that if because he's a white man, he could get a job as a driver. And he was like, Oh, you mean driving one of those trucks? That'll be really cool and everything like that. Mm-mm. She was like, No, you drive people. Yeah. And he was just like You drive what, them what from you, what are you talking about? Like and on a I slave plantation. Like, yep. The drivers So they decided to bring back overseers. Yeah. And that's exactly that's basically what it is for these for these towns. Yeah. Companies and like then the, factory the, towns. Right. There were ones where overseers. it wasn't even and then the, you had the places that weren't factory towns where people were, were living on people's mansions, quote unquote plantations, uh, where they had to deal with a lot of the things that way back when in slavery right. and up until this time where you they had to deal with sexual abuse. Yeah. They gave you permission to, to do things married. to get married, to have keep your kids with you, to to there so so many things that we think we've moved past from quote I keep saying quote unquote but I should not but things we we thought we moved past from are now being enacted like everyday life you have and you have the ones who are lucky enough those servants lucky enough to have a, a master or a mistress who allow them to read and write or have certain things that make them unique but there's also other things that make them also uh what's the word I'm looking for a, a, a target Right. Or, you know, for those people also having to sneak your education Mm -hmm. because books are a high are a high commodity item in some places. And so you can't touch those books. And so how do I educate you or educate my children? I have to do it on the sly. Right. I have to do what's illegal. I have a kind master and mistress. Can I can you possibly get Get away away with it? it. Yeah. Someone at least in there. So it was like for being so far into the future, because you're you're looking at the time period between like 2024 to about 2026, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, 27. Yeah, tw- yeah. 2027. I think it ends in like 2027, or it's like the. But that's not that far distant Ooh, from now. The future is now. <laughs> but if you think about it, the things that they're talking about, and people are like, "Oh, nothing like that won't ever happen again." Blah blah blah. It was mm-hmm. like, but you don't see that there's this continuation where it hasn't gone away it's just changed form yeah and that's the thing everything just continues to change form it adapts. but it hasn't gone away it's racism just adapts changed. too it adapted mm-hmm. right people adapted it so that they could get a- away with it oh gosh we, i can't remember what this other dude's name was but he talked about how you couldn't uh you had to go from and i'll be pc about this you can't say n-word 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 mm-hmm so you end up saying things like low Ninja. income. You mm. use all of these. Oh other yeah, words. wasn't the one with the voting? No, the jury. No, no, it wasn't about. I know what, you, ju- I know what you're talking it wasn't about. about the juries, I remember but it this. was basically he was talking in a, in a political sphere because mm. he say if you say the n word, you get in trouble for that. People don't like it, but you use these other words, right? Urban, low income. People to know get what you're your talking point about. Across, mm-hmm. And then people jump on that bandwagon. So then you're doing the exact same thing. You're just couching it in. You're hiding it in and other terms else. Yeah. To, to get your way. It's the still same a thing s- shit sandwich if you put a Shabbat of bread. Right. But the same thing you see with voter suppression. Mm-hmm. You're still doing voter suppression. You just keep changing the way you do, you do it. it. And yeah, let me not get to that. But yes. yeah, you see what I'm saying? It's, it's like for some reason we think, oh, periods in history when we're talking about specifically American mm. history, oh, there was a stop start date and there was an end date, no, a start it, date and an end date. It was like, no, there was, keeps there going. was a start date and it, it just continues ha- to keep going. Right. There is no end date. There's it just never keeps changing form. 
never a pause, never anything. And that's, I think, why, or not that's why I think, but when I think about this story, and even when I think about some of her other books that I've only read part of Kindred, I have to finish, I keep never finishing it before the library, but there's this idea of that even though things have changed and there's like progression and differences there are certain things that continue to link in that mistakes and things that we continue to make and we continue to reflect upon those mistakes and say that we should do one thing and do another but then you have these certain again because these negativities in the world find ways to transform and mutate into something new we can't just sit there idly by and not try to change the outcome of those those negative interfaces because there's one point i think and i think it's a tenant or one of the writings from earthseed is that she says there is no end to what a living world will demand of you it will continue to and this goes to the idea of the trickster and how things no matter what you do there's always going to be opposition and we have to always be ready for it but we should also always be hopeful because if we start getting cynical across the board, we're going to just kind of give in to these. And I think for a while, there's a point that as a global community, as a American community, even on an integral part of like a black community, we have given up at times or like just been like, oh, it's been this way forever. You know, it's what like are we going to do? Just, it still doesn't change. It's we keep right. doing these things. And it still happens. It We've been beating our faces blue and... and and that's the thing is the fact that it's getting people to realize that none of these things have stopped happening. Mm-hmm. It, they continue to happen and people weren't making this stuff up and they weren't just saying these things no, to really? get out of trouble. This stuff was actually happening. And now you get Still a ch- happening. And now you get a chance to see it on camera. But the thing is like, it hasn't stopped. Mm-mm. Was it even with, uh, we were wa- after we watched the first episode of Lovecraft country, I was reading some of the comments and there's still people who were like, I mean, some of it were people from out of countries who were like, what's a sundown town? I've never heard of that. And or, I was like, you, you, you know, if you ever, you get know, someone, if you know, you know, you know, if you're not the right skin right. color, what a sundown town is. Or if you made it out. But it was that idea of like the shock that people always seem to have. And it's it's only lately that there's more and more there's a more there, I have to say there's a prevalence to it now of us showing raw what these situations are like. And you have all these, and it, it's kind of funny sitting here and having all these white people or people who are of other POCs who don't understand the black experience or experience of other people of color who are ha- going through like some real crazy shit is that this shit still happens. Oh my God. Was it with a uh, watchman when they showed the bombing of Tulsa right. uh, during that, uh, that riot, people were like, Oh my God, this happened when in Lovecraft, people were talking about the scene that occurs with the sundown town, people there were comments like this still happens, and, and there's like, yes, there still are, and there still towns. are sundown towns. I found this map, and I'll try to post it. I just want to make sure I have all the correct information, but of people documenting still the current sundown towns to keep people aware. Counties, not even just towns, because you there get, are counties. Because if you are the wrong skin tone, you could end up not coming home. Yeah, you really can't end up dead, and it's like that's not a joke. That is in fact real and it, it is, is a terrifying. real life thing mm-hmm. and it's terrifying especially if you are in these, a place that you're not familiar with and you don't want to get caught by some mm-hmm. small town sheriff because you can disappear and if you are a child of color particularly black mm-hmm. possibly brown your parents want to know where you are at all times because you can disappear right. they want to be able to say the last place they said they were going was, was this, this place. point right here 
And if they don't, and that going to that and uh, the idea of like where color is, I think Octavia also talks really, or a lot of her books, she has central characters, not only just being black, but being female. And gender is a very big thing with her, not only just expo- or uh, documenting or depicting women of color or black women being strong leaders or people with um, who even with sexual violence or with the threat of sexual violence are still existing and having to be to continue on and grow and and change and lead. But also you have the experience of being a male and dealing with uh, empathy and being able to express empathy without being shamed for it. And the idea of what is it to be um, like manlyhood, the idea of manlyhood and, and womanhood and what is expected of these genders. But like when you think of who people are and like gender fluidity and think how things are changing, these concepts of like, what does it really truly mean to be a man? Is it being a man just a purely, uh, do they have just purely negative connotations? Is it just for people biologically born with, you know, male, uh, or, or excuse me, male genitalia. Thank you. Um, or is there more to it? Can there be more to being a man than just being, I have a gun and I know how to shoot it and I need to kill and I can protect and blah, blah, blah. And that makes me a man. Or can they be able to express these other empathies and still exist and be a whole person? And the same thing with being a woman of just like being able to, just the idea of just being a woman in the apocalypse is always something that still worries me because you have to deal with not only the world ending, but also the fact that there there's a, a group of people out there who can dominate you and will try to lawlessness. Yeah. They will, because that's usually what happens. Once the world ends, there is no law, the law and order that once existed, that social contract has now broken down. Mm -hmm. And so people do whatever they want. And if there's no one to enforce it, to say no you're not going to do that mm-hmm. because there are rules that you have to li- abide by that everybody has to abide by and if you break the rules there are consequences to and that. even when there's not rules because when you think of the moss family and how he had all those wives but like the way there was no rule that he couldn't do it but there was still like the how he treated his daughters and how he acquired these second wives is this concept of still of women as second class or something that needs to be frail and protected or kept in a certain box or can be bought and sold. Yeah. Or, and then you have other characters who their father used them as prostitutes. You have the fact that Lauren had thought, considered the idea of walking around as a man to protect herself because as a black woman walking around, it would be more dangerous. It would be way more dangerous. And even then, it makes me think of in Lovecraft Country, and I'm sorry I keep referring to it, but there's there are a lot of parallels. I thought of Lauren when I saw the scene where the wife volunteers to go on the Green Book Travels, and yes. it's like, he got his knees taken out. Right. Can you imagine, not only would they probably have beat her, but they would have also raped her. Male rape doesn't occur as much, but it does, it does does occur, occur. but like, it's almost guaranteed because you're a woman. But even the look on his face, when she mentioned it, you could see that there was all the things that he saw. Because all he could think about was the things that could possibly happen to her. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot, like the fact that she wanted to go, I thought more power to her because she's pretty strong. And there was a lot of danger, Mm -hmm. particularly for her out there. I mean, if th- it was dangerous for it was super dangerous for him, right. it'd be even more so for her. But thinking of when you mentioned Lovecraft Country, there's mm-hmm. just this one point that I wanted to make, and that was 
I was listening to some people talking. Um, I think it was called the Karen Hunter Show. Um, I don't know. I, I know it was Karen. I could probably be wrong about the last name. But one of the people on the show basically said, it's called Lovecraft Country. And if people really thought about it, it's not saying that where they were going was the country of Lovecraft because of the story. They were saying, the United States, this country here is Lovecraft country. Mm -hmm. This right here is Is where all of this stuff came from. This is the country where the the Nazis got their ideas from. Right. This is is the kind of person that is idolized and and his dialogue has been incorporated into so many radical hate groups that created the America that we're in now that we are struggling to survive, which is like yes. a surreal sci-fi world. Someone who gar- was a fan of Hitler mm-hmm. and also believed in, what was it, eugenics? <sighs> yeah, he hated Jewish people as well. Right. There's so but many things just, that he... But just that thought, like, here's somebody, but it's like, this here is, is this country. Mm-hmm. But like, if you want to... So it's like the United States of Lovecraft, if that mm-hmm. helps people put mm-hmm. it into perspective. Like, that's, that's a... That's basically it. And when I I'm when I heard that, I was like, "That blew my mind just now." It, it, blew it my makes mind so much too. sense. Though. It does make sense. Like I never thought. I didn't think of it that way. I thought of it as you know, this is the area that they're going to. It's based upon his stories. I, blah blah blah. And I guess you could get that to a point. But the fact that you're saying no, this entire country is love class. Right. I think that's I, what this is. Part of me is I think I centered it as just like. The concept, yes, it's Lovecraft Country for the, the sci-fi fantasy, but also I was thinking the area. So right. I didn't even think of it on the whole scale of the entire United States, but it makes so much either. sense. But it I was does. thinking just that area because when you go, when you look at that map, the history, even as like northern county areas, is very segregated and racist. That's a lot of places it where, is. where, where, and that's where you have a lot of your sundown towns. Right. They're up north. They're not too many down south they're up north North in the the middle of nowhere middle counties that aren't the big cities that people have to travel that people of color have to travel to to get from one safe city to the next safe city right so the idea of like continuing on with gender i just wanted to point um one other thing that made me think of is that the concept also of just like men showing empathy being associated with being feminine and then cast into like being treated at the same level as women if that makes sense because uh i don't want to give it away because this happens in the second book but there it, it, they yeah, kind of i'm touch, not sure what you're really talking about. they touch on a little bit but it's not very direct but that idea of like when you see a lot of times in some post-apocalypse or even in jail the weaker people end up be or if they show like sympathy or softness they're more sensitive. they're considered feminine and that considers makes them this lower class that makes them a, a property a target and a target that they can that they can be used and it's that it comes up in the it doesn't come up a lot in the first book but they touch upon it when they talk about like the outer civilizations outside the wall but i think the only reason i think about it is because she mentions it about one person in the group and it comes back later in the second book. And so I'm trying not to spoil it, but the concept of what it, what's empathy, how it makes you weak as a, or can the, be perceived as weakness. person who shares the same? No. Okay. I want, but there's, there also is that with the hyper empathy that other people come to have as well. And being a man and having to be, to have to hide that, to hide because that it can be used against you. Right. And not just from, the people who are your masters, but even within your own culture, because when you think of black, black communities too, there was such a stigma for so long about black men 
being sensitive or showing emotion or being soft. And if they are, they're either considered gay or weak. And then that comes into its own other offshoot of like how we treat within our own culture or community, uh, gay and LGBT culture. But just in that whole sphere of things, the idea of like, if you are identify as man, you have to have these certain traits. And if you don't do that, you're not man. And then you're thus feminine and thus second class and thus property or something that can be moved around and used as property if not a, a lower class human being <laughs> weakness and then the idea that femininity is perceived as weakness too yes which it's not considering that a lot of women push out human beings god i can't i don't understand how that could possibly be seen as a weakness i know <laughs> considering i was like um i don't know how many weak women give birth to children <laughs> squeeze Squeeze, squeeze out another human life, human being. I used to okay, so y'all, I used to mess with Kristen when we were younger, and I would take my hand and like a little hole, and I would pretend like my fist was a baby's hands coming out of the hole and just expanding everything because it was before it was right like right around the time that got like we had to have this discussion with the gynecologist like we have to come visit because you're a woman now kind of thing, yes. and I would just mess with you and I'm like look, Kristen, and I shove my hand through. <laughs> Yes, and I was like, please stop. Because yes. I actually have an issue where I can't I can't watch childbirth. Mm-hmm. I can't watch human childbirth. It is the most it's disgusting, so god-awful thing I've ever seen. It's fascinating. It will make me pass out cold. If you want to talk about a weakness, that's mine. <sighs> it will put me in front of a, a video or a tape of a of woman giving birth, and I will pass out on uh, I will bad. get woozy. I've had to lie on the floor with my legs elevated because of it. The thing is, I mean, not the part of actually giving birth. That's probably bad. But like watching it doesn't seem as bad as long as it's no, not watching it to is me. the most god awful thing I have ever seen in my mm. life. I can take I can watch anything else. Gunshots, knife wounds, vomiting, anything else. But you have a baby yeah. popping out of something. No the human, the female body or the the body that can create a human being is one bad it's, mofo. It's a tough body, right? I can't do that. It is a strong body for and sure. They talk about how there's sometimes there's pregnant people out there. Can you imagine being pregnant or having a kid trying to like transverse the I'm apocalypse? Just, I just think about like pioneers and stuff like that oh. when they've had to walk from like place to place, and women would be pregnant out mm-hmm. there, and I'm like, don't you put a baby in me? Yes, I'd have been like you. You're cut off, buddy. You're like, cut off till dumb. we get to wherever we're going, <laughs> right? But of course, these women out there, and then they are pregnant. You got to give birth, and you got to mm. hold the baby and go with the wagon. No, Mm-mm. that's there's no. a, there's a lot going on that I just don't need to be a part of. Uh, and childbirth is one of them. Sorry, mom and dad. It's just uh, just thinking about it right now just makes me <laughs> lose my mind. Uh, but thinking about all of this, so. In the, the story is pretty much like a jump off because like we said it's part of a series and the second one was Parable of the Talents was supposed to be the second book and she finished that and as she was working on the third book Parable of the Trickster there was issues where she like and this goes back to your point where we were talking about how it was very hard for her to try to find positivity while she was writing and to like because when you're sometimes when you're writing about the dark dystopian future it can feel like dark. yeah and that you can feel like you want to just give up and so she talked about she experienced a lot of um writer's block and depression 
during that time. And unfortunately, what happened was that she uh, had an accident and, and passed away before she could eat, finish a the trickster, Parable of the Trickster. Um, though I guess there's like, if you go to one of the libraries, she's best friends, she was best friends with her, had a great relationship with, they have like the very first writings for that book. Okay. Um, but I saw something that was really interesting that caught my eye was that she said in in the interview that I'll post later that she had a plan for four more books. So that included Parable of the Trickster, um, which was supposed to be kind of like a continuation on, I think in the Parable of the Talents, it's basically her setting up uh, a new life during her travels. And then Parable of the Trickster was supposed to be like, like we said earlier, when you do everything right and shit still goes wrong. But there were supposed to be three other books in, after that, and they were. She said something interesting that it was supposed to be each for the other names of God. Hmm. So each thing was a name of God, which goes to the idea of change because right. God is never one thing. And even if whatever religion you believe in or that's your your chain of faith, God is still changeable because he can be angry. It can be angry, sad. You know, when we t- when I think about Christianity, they talk about the different emotions that, that God can have. He has when emotions think, just like people do. Right. When you think of other deities and other religions, there's emotions to them. They're very, they're, they still have, they have a humanity to them. Right. But there's also changing to them. In this one, they're, in her books, they're more of a concept. God is more of a concept of these different uh, um, abstract, what I'm trying to say, Ab- not beings, but abstract thoughts. thoughts and concepts that exist in the world. So you had change. The sower is like you're sowing these ideas, you're changing the ideas of people to create something new. Then you had talents. Uh, and so, like, what are the things that we can bring together to create this new thing? How can I bring? And so, Lauren, as she's traveling, she's she's meeting these other people, and her religion is growing and changing, and she's learning new things. Trickster, you know, I don't have to explain that again. But then the last three were parable of the te- we're going to be parable of the teacher, parable of chaos, and parable of clay. Interesting. And I don't even know what those comprise. But yeah, when I saw those names, I was like, oh, I kind of feel that I wish she had done what Robert Jordan had done mm-hmm. and left like detailed notes. So then someone who could do a ghostwriter or whatever, who, uh, yeah, or, or someone who could be trusted by someone that she trusted mm. to find an author that could continue her work and write it the yeah. way she would have wanted the story written. Yeah. I'm not sure how many notes she had. But cause if she died unexpectedly, yeah, then it would be, it's understandable that there would be no notes like that. She had a few things. They said that she had like, cause the, the note that I was trying to find earlier about how she talked about the series was this was supposed to be, if this goes on her, this, if, if this goes on series so that like there was supposed to be so much more and there was supposed to be uh, so much connected to connectivity and about the topics that were going on and the concept of like, if we were to leave this world, there's no coming back in some cases. Like there's been movies and, and things about that of like when you're cut off, but it's right. like, what are we as humans capable of if we're able to let go of some of the things that divide us and to do what needs to be necessary to keep the human race going and understanding that we're all integral, talented parts of this humanity. I think we could possibly build something a lot better, but always there would be something mm-hmm. that would come up oh, of course. where we would allow it to divide us whether it be class because no matter what happens there will be some people who will be more um who want what someone else wants or well no what i was thinking or... is there will be people who will who will do more or do more work to a per- 
a particular point or who will cre- who are more creative and be able to implement that in order to pro- to progress one way and so you might end up having this class status pop up again mm-hmm. the way it always it There's, always does the, the, was it they say that humans will always find a way to separate separate themselves themselves. yes somehow some way can we just like separate ourselves in a nice way but like i don't like peanut butter i don't like nutella or and i don't and then you know we just don't eat the same thing this is how i like to talk to people about when they talk about oh my partner doesn't like this or i want someone who wants this and i'm like i prefer someone who doesn't like the same food this is just a general thing as i do because that means more for me if i'm out with a friend and we want to order stuff and they're like oh i don't really like cheese you want my cheese i'm like hell yeah that's more cheese for me that's all i'm saying is that like if we could just put away the fact that what divides us or be okay with the fact that it doesn't work for you and and that doesn't work for me but we can still coexist with no issues i could be okay with that kind of divisiveness light divisive divisive light or probably but i also think it goes back to the fact that we need to have serious conversations about things instead of being afraid to have these conversations Mm -hmm. and that also and also part of having these conversations is not to take offense because somebody's opinion is different from ours right and that's that's the other thing is people are always being so quick to be offended because your thoughts are different than my thoughts i don't have to like your thoughts but if those are your thoughts those are your thoughts. But I'd rather know what your thoughts are so right. then I'm not blindsided. If you're racist, I would like to know that Please you're racist. <laughs> just get it out the way. So exactly. Let me sense. know so that I know that we can. Pro- we don't have to waste each other's time. It just... That's true. I could be about that. Um, is there anything else that you feel like... I feel like I, I hit most of my points that I want to... Without trying to give away too much. No, not really. I think there's probably one last quote that I liked. It took a plague to make some of the people realize that things could change. And I think those are such true words because a plague doesn't necessarily have to be a disease, but if you think about the time that we're living in with COVID-19, mm-hmm. it took this to stop the entire world to say, "Hey, there are a lot of things happening in a lot of societies that aren't right, and now we have the opportunity to fix them if we would actually just take it." Right. And to make things right. The question is, will we will we change or will we try to sit there and say, oh, we're going to change and then try to maintain the status quo? Because at some point, change is going to be forced to happen. Right. It's whether you're willing to come with the change. And that make I, I'm not going to go too far into this, but that made me think of something when I was watching uh, conversations about the DNC and how uh, there's this divi- the differences within the DNC itself of you have. Uh, these new, I guess they'll, they call them the progressives, which would be like AOC and uh, I'm blanking on her name, but I can see her face and she's bald. Anyway, uh, and then Nina Turner, maybe, and and uh, I can't remember all. You, it's sad that I can only remember AOCs right now, but her and other progressives, and you have some of this older guard of DNC that have been some of the our our products of or helped influence some of the issues that we have today but it's like there needs to be this idea that they to come together to change and be willing to be adaptable and they're just with the democratic party and i'm just focusing on this in this this particular metaphor it's like okay outside of just making the step of showing that you're working together you actually have to be willing to To do it to do it because as a party you've said a lot of things and promised a lot but 
going but back to your point, delivered. but have not delivered or changed anything. And now you have people in your group who are there and they're willing to work with you to make this change. And they are tapping into the pulse to help make this change. But are you willing to really concede the power and make that change? Or are you just going to sit there and give us lip service again? And there was something I wish I saved the tab I had with the quotes on where she was like, basically accept lip service or acceptance is just paying lip service to, to like letting things happen and letting change or chaos rule you instead of like initiating and, and being a part of the change. Right. So to those people who are in that old guard who have been holding on to the old ways, you need to accept change or you will be rolled out or something will happen to or you force us, aside. like you said, to, yeah. Because yeah. I mean, if the, if, if they learn nothing, they should have learned from 2016 to now, the fact that their previous actions mm-hmm. are the reason why we're currently in the situation that we we now find ourselves and that's both sides everyone has a hand in it they they all had a hand in it because mm-hmm. they all did the same trifling stuff and now they have a chance to fix what they what they broke and what they failed to do the question is are you going to take it or are you going to force us to get rid of you <laughs> politically right well you know we'll see how this world goes it could be some other things i'm gonna say politically because i don't need nobody knocking on my door uh but yeah this this I was really excited to read this book there she has a lot there's so much like and I think I said this earlier when you were mentioning something like the layers that exist within this story and the fact that she uses so many different things as a vehicle for social commentary but it doesn't feel forced it doesn't feel like it's she's trying to like shove all this stuff in at once it it's definitely this framework of all these complexities that that we are currently living in and our possible futures um, and people trying to navigate it. And the, the highlight or the kicker is a black woman navigating it and being strong and trying to figure out and having to, to have a voice of her own, but also having to rely to, to realize there's other people that she can rely on for support to a certain extent. And just kind of like, it was important to me seeing this experience navigated by a person of color and a woman of color i thought it was good to see that you're going on a journey she's taking you on a journey with these people and it was to me it wasn't more about seeing a strong black woman it isn't not specifically strong no, don't focus on not, the yeah can i finish my thought oh <laughs> so, but to see a a human woman just mm-hmm. to, just to have the idea of seeing a woman who is making this journey mm-hmm. and i think that was a thing like you could if you wanted to you could put you anyone. could put pretty much anybody in there they, you would change some, certain things yes mm-hmm. but you could it's a it's a it's a human story mm-hmm. where you have these people who have human failings they're weak they're strong they're indecisive they're decisive mm-hmm. they have these they they have their own code they have their own morals and yet mm-hmm. They have this empathy. Like, there are all these different dichotomies that make us human. Mm -hmm. And then bridging that and then working together Mm -hmm. despite whatever um, disagreements or differences of opinion that you might have to Mm -hmm. being able to work together for a common common goal. And I think that, for me, that is the best thing, is that you can see a group of people who are a diverse group of people Mm -hmm. coming together and working towards a common goal. And for them, even though they're 
things outside of them where regarding racism and all of these things so uh classism all these other isms that within this group they treat each other equally and if you work with us we work with you mm-hmm. and the, and that's how it's going and and There's we a- move forward as as a unit yeah no i definitely see that i think when i say that it was important for me to see her as a black woman is because that shows me a story that we are human yes that i am on the same level that i can have that same story and even with the other characters that were in there who were coming from backgrounds they are also presented like you said as human so when i say it's important for me to see this black woman in this role it's saying that it is important for me to see that i am important and i have a story as well and i could be sitting any one of us can be here and having to go through these struggles now and then, whether in the apocalypse or something else, there is a place for my experience. And even the fact that you can lead. Yeah. Dis- despite the your weaknesses, you can still be a leader mm-hmm. and still keep a group together. And uh, black women in the United States have been doing that for, for a long time, mm-hmm. keeping families together. Um, has, has every woman made all the best choices no. no but you could say that about women across Human. the board not ever not every person has always made male or female has always made the that right makes choice. us a human yes but the fact is the fact that you could still make choices and do whatever you felt you needed to do mm-hmm. that was right in order to keep your your family together mm-hmm. whatever that family may be exactly this so if you all have not read this book or it's been a while you should uh jump back and you should pick it up because then it ends and you gotta pick up parable of the talents because then it gets crazy and we'll get Um, into that another day in time and uh i thought there was a thought note that i made that was pretty interesting when i was reading my notes and watching uh an interview right before we recorded was that so she lived she was born in california okay and she died in, in Washington, Seattle, Washington. And the travel oh. or the journey that Lauren makes is starts in California and ends in Washington. Interesting. Or there, she's going towards, towards Washington. Washington. Right. And uh, I was just like, huh, I wonder if that's like a little, like that was kind of her own journey. Because she, ta- she started out as a timid, shy girl who felt awkward and, and disconnected from a lot of things and had to discover her own world and create something that worked for her and with her understanding of the world and how she functioned in it. And Lauren did the same thing. And I think that's probably what makes it such a good story is the fact that she left a part of herself on those pages. She, she may not be Lauren. But there are a lot of parts. There's a lot of her that creates the character. Mm, of Lauren. There's a lot of her and Lauren. Yes. It's not Lauren and her. Right. Ooh, excuse me. Sorry, y'all. So with all of that, how many <laughs> so fuzzy pros fun. would you give this book? I feel like I should say less because I sound very biased, but it's five out of five fuzzy froze. Like, and the fuzzy froze are in this like galactic space froze. So, like, you can see the solar system in the fro, and some of them are rainbow fro's. That's how many five fro's that I give it. Five fuzzy fro's of color and intergalactic space journey. Well, I, this is the first time that I've read this story. So I would give it five fuzzy fro's as well. And it was because, for me, it was a good read. Mm -hmm. It was a good story. It was a good, yeah, it was a good story. And it would be definitely a great story to see put on, like, a movie or maybe like a, I a feel like it's coming series. they're already made there, kindred into there'd be so but 
it has to be done right. That's the only yeah. problem. It'll probably. I think it'll. I think it's coming, especially because it's been getting a lot of um, okay. attention again now because of. A, what she wrote about, but also just people recognizing how good of a writer she was. I think she did. She, while she got recognition, she, I didn't know about her when I was younger, so she didn't get as much. I didn't know either. Recognition as I think she, she could have deserved, would have deserved. And yeah, looking into the, if you, I can't even imagine if she was still alive, what kind of, because there were so many people that were our writers now that we were going to be discovering, we've been discussing and been discovering as resource materials for this show that have all touted her not all but most of them that I've read interviews for have talked about her and how influential she has been either as a kid growing up for them or later in life finding her writings Um, but yeah just the idea of being able to see yourself in the future or someone who is like you in the future Mm -hmm. and existing and even if it's not like even if we're in beyond the Thunderdome thriving in some way or form I think that's the biggest thing is to have it where there is a future where we exist mm-hmm. and we didn't just mysteriously just up and disappear Vanish. or get wiped out for and and there's more than just, just one of us in each group as a, like when you right. watch some things it's like 10 white people and, and one, black, one person. black person you're like well what happened to all the rest right? of why them? are you the only special one that survived it's like you get your token one but yeah, there is no token one. It's a it's a group of people. Actually, you probably no, you don't even get a token white person. You have a group. It's just a group of people. Mm-hmm. It shows me what the world could be mm-hmm. if we put aside all the BS, right? That we use to keep ourselves divided. Yeah, that goes to that thought where she said it's not a prophecy; it's a hope for the future, or not a hope, but in some ways a hope for some things, and in other ways a a, a, a possibility. Tale for yeah, others. a cautionary tale for others. So, on that note, we'll wrap it up and put all the crayons back in the box, which I'm sad because I really like this book and I want more to say, but I don't want to spoil it for y'all. Indeed. So until next time, I don't remember, but what we're doing so i think it might be i can't see that far into the distance i think it might be kindred it might be kindred or antebellum well i think kindred wait no antebellum but it's not out yet it's supposed to be on max or hbo or some demand it keeps saying on demand i'm like which demand who's demand well it'll be a surprise what we talk about next time (laughs) until then so long you can find us at apple Podcasts, google Podcasts. Oh, bless.